The Braille Forum, Volume 50, September 2011, Number 2, published by the American Council of the Blind, read by Mark Delgado in the studios of the Cutting Corporation, Bethesda, Maryland. This recording is tone indexed. The beginning of each item in the table of contents will be indicated by a beep, audible when your cassette player is in fast forward or rewind. The American Council of the Blind strives to increase the independence, security, equality of opportunity, and to improve quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people. Mitch Pomerantz, President. Melanie Brunson, Executive Director. Sharon Lovering, Editor. National Office. 2200 Wilson Boulevard, Suite 650, Arlington, Virginia, 22201. 202 Four six seven five zero eight one, fax seven zero three four six five five zero eight five, website http colon slash slash www dot acb dot org. The Braille Forum trademark is available in Braille, large print, half speed four track cassette tape, data CD, and via email. Subscription requests, address changes, and items intended for publication should be sent to Sharon Lovering at the address above, or via email to s l o v e r i n g at a c b dot org. The American Council of the Blind is a membership organization made up of more than seventy state and special interest affiliates. To join, contact the national office at the number listed above. Those much-needed contributions, which are tax-deductible, can be sent to Attention Treasurer, ACB, 6300 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 195, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota 55430. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the national office has printed cards available for this purpose. Consider including a gift to ACB in your last will and testament. If your wishes are complex. Call the national office. To make a contribution to ACB via the combined federal campaign, use this number, one 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 five five. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, call the Washington Connection toll free at eight hundred four two four eight six six six, five p.m. to midnight Eastern Time, or read it online. Copyright two thousand eleven, American Council of the Blind. Table of Contents. President's Report to the National Conference, Part One, by Mitch Pomerantz. Side One. Two important news flashes, by Melanie Brunson. Side One. ACB's Golden Year, by Carla Rushville. Side One. The ACB chat list is back, by Bob Hachey. Side One. ACB 2011 auction a big success. By Marcia Farrow. Side one. Record-breaking success. By Dan Dillon. Side one. And the winners are. By Kathy Brockman. Side two. 2011 ACB membership seminar. Exploring how affiliates can reach new members. By Artis Bazin. Side two. Issues in education of blind and low vision students. By Bashir A. Masudi. Side two, in memoriam, Hollis Samuel Liggett. Side two, passings. Side two, 
Affiliate News. Side 2. MSU-RTC seeks professionals, students for two new research projects. Side 3. Here and There. Edited by Sue Lichtenfels. Side 3. High-Tech Swap Shop. Side 3. Forum Subscription Notes. You can now get the Braille Forum by podcast. To subscribe, go to the Braille Forum page on www.acb.org. If you do not yet have a podcast client, you can download one from the forum page. To subscribe to the Braille Forum via email, go to www.acb.org slash mailman slash list info slash Braille Forum hyphen capital L. Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office, 1-800-424-8666, or via email, s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at acb.org. Give her the information, and she'll take care of the changes for you. President's Report to the National Conference, Part 1, by Mitch Pomerantz. I want to begin my September column by offering sincere thanks to everyone who supported my re-election as President of the American Council of the Blind. We've accomplished many of the goals I put forward when I first ran in 2007, but there are still important things yet to be achieved. It is my intention to do everything possible during these final two years in office to accomplish those goals, and with your help, we will succeed. Over the next three issues, as I've done in previous years, I'm going to serialize my National Conference Convention Report for those who are not in Reno and unable to listen on ACB Radio. Here's Part 1. Ladies and gentlemen, in more than one respect, the convening of the 2011 Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind is a historic event. It marks the culmination of one of the most memorable years ACB has experienced both in terms of our legislative success and our growing influence in the advocacy arena here and internationally. Tonight's opening session also marks the 50th anniversary of the founding of ACB in Kansas City, Missouri, in July 1961. From now through the banquet on Friday evening, whether you are present in this ballroom or listening on ACB radio, you will be participating in, and part of, a grand celebration. This celebration concludes a tremendously successful year since the 2010 convention and 50 years as the most democratic consumer advocacy organization of blind and visually impaired people in this nation. While ACB is driven by the thousands of members in our 70-plus state and special interest affiliates, the day-to-day work of steering the organization, overseeing the finances, dealing with the administrative details, spending hours on the telephone, and attending scores of meetings— These activities are the responsibility of our staff in our Virginia and Minnesota offices. I want to publicly and personally acknowledge the time and energy given by staff on our behalf. Yes, they are paid for their work, but they certainly deserve far more. I also know that they sometimes work more hours than they are recompensed. Having said that, I sincerely hope no one from the National Labor Relations Board is hearing this, or we're in big trouble. And speaking of staff... Let me introduce ACB's new Director of Development, Stephen Obremsky, who began his employment with us on June 6th. He has an impressive track record as a fundraiser. 
By the way, Steve is a development professional who happens to be blind. We are extremely fortunate to have him on our team, and if he will get to a mic, I'd like everyone to hear his voice. I want to publicly thank the 15 other men and women who serve with me on the ACB board. They are extremely bright, caring, and thoughtful individuals who work together very well. Without exception, when I've needed someone to assist me with a task, I've been able to count on every one of them to pitch in. Let me also acknowledge the work of the Board of Publications and its chairperson, Paul Edwards, as well as our subsidiary corporation, ACB Enterprises and Services, chaired by Michael Garrett. Both entities are crucial to the effective and efficient functioning of ACB. I now need to publicly recognize and thank ACB's outgoing treasurer, Mike Godino, who concludes his third and final term following this convention. He has been a diligent minder of our finances for the last six years. While it's up to all of you to decide on Friday whether Kim, Brenda, Marlena, and I will be around for another two years, we know that Mr. Godino will be moving on. Mike, after the convention, go home and balance your checkbook. Now, for a special thank you to Donna for her support, understanding, and assistance during the past year. Unfortunately for me, but fortunately for the California Council of the Blind, she was elected president last October, which means that Donna's ability to bail me out of trouble has been curtailed. Nonetheless, when I throw a tantrum in our shared home office, she is usually able to talk me down off the roof. Thanks, Madam President. I begin my report by bringing to your attention ACB's newest affiliate, the Idaho Council of the Blind, and its dynamic president, Darren Cheney. Darren also happens to be one of ACB's 2011 first timers, and you'll hear from him a little later. As I indicated at the outset, 2010 was a historic year for ACB with the passage and signing of the Pedestrian Safety Enhancement Act and the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act. Much has been written and said about both bills, so I won't rehash events. Also, I don't want to steal the thunder of ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, Eric Bridges. I would, however, be remiss if I failed to make a few remarks as a follow up to last year's legislative victories. While the NFB claims most of the public credit for passage of the Quiet Car Bill, I tell you unequivocally that without Eric's tireless and diplomatic efforts, this landmark legislation would never have been enacted. For well over a year, I've participated via teleconference in a series of monthly meetings with a group comprised of automotive engineers from the major manufacturers here in the U.S. And just a little over three weeks ago, I made a whirlwind one day visit to Kalamazoo, Michigan to attend a meeting with representatives from General Motors and O&M faculty from Western Michigan University to receive an update on activities related to developing an appropriate sound for GM hybrid and electric cars. The 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act, which thankfully is being referred to as the CVAA, has resulted in fairly swift action on the part of the Federal Communications Commission. In late 2010, the FCC established an advisory body to assist in the drafting of final rules for the CVAA. ACB has a total of five representatives on that body, with Melanie Brunson, Louis Herrera, Marlena Lieberg, Pratik Patel, and Joel Snyder speaking for our interests. Again, Mr. Bridges will talk more about this in his presentation tomorrow morning. During our 2011 legislative seminar in February, 
ACB was pleased to honor four members of Congress, Senators John Kerry, Democrat Massachusetts, and Mark Pryor, Democrat Arkansas, and Representatives Ed Towns, Democrat New York, and Ed Markey, Democrat Massachusetts, with special awards for their instrumental roles in championing the aforementioned bills through the legislative process and ultimately into statute. Part two will appear in the combined October-November issue. Two important news flashes, by Melanie Brunson. I have two items of news to share with you this month. The first concerns an update on the progress toward accessible currency. We recently learned that on May 31, 2011, Secretary of the Treasury Timothy Geithner gave his approval to the methods that the Department of the Treasury will use to provide people who are blind with meaningful access to U.S. currency. These methods include: one, adding a raised tactile feature to U.S. currency, which will provide users with a means of identifying each denomination of notes by touch; two. Continuing the practice of adding high-contrast numerals and different colors to each denomination of notes that the law allows the Bureau of Engraving and Printing to alter, and three, implementing a supplemental currency reader distribution program for U.S. citizens and other legal residents of the U.S. who are blind or visually impaired. According to the Bureau of Engraving and Printing's website. These new note features will be introduced together in the next currency redesign, following the redesigned $100 note. BEP intends to implement the currency reader program as soon as possible to provide some immediate relief to the blind and visually impaired population during the transition phase that will occur while our notes with and without the accessible features mentioned above are both in circulation. Please remember that it will still be some time before we begin to see any changes to our currency. But I wanted you to know that there is progress being made toward the achievement of this goal. ACB staff and officers have had some very positive discussions with officials from the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, who are responsible for implementing this program. Visitors to the exhibit hall at our conference in Reno provided the bureau with feedback on tactile feature technologies that they are currently evaluating. We will keep you posted as efforts to implement these access features progress. Now. On to a discussion of another important effort by another government agency, the U.S. Department of Justice. On May 31st, the Justice Department announced a comprehensive settlement agreement under the Americans with Disabilities Act (ADA) with Wells Fargo and Company to ensure equal access for individuals with disabilities to Wells Fargo's services nationwide. Including its nearly 10,000 retail banking, brokerage, and mortgage stores, over 12,000 ATMs. And its telephone and website services. If you are currently or have been a customer of Wells Fargo or Wachovia Bank, which has merged with Wells Fargo, please review the following questions and respond as recommended. If you answer yes to any of the questions, have you experienced disability discrimination by Wells Fargo or Wachovia on or before May 31, 2011? For example, were you denied documents in a format you could read? Charged extra for raised line checks, or denied assistance in reading documents. If so, you may be able to get a payment under a settlement between the U.S. Department of Justice and Wells Fargo. Get more information and submit a claim either by sending an email to wfclaims at usdoj.gov or calling one eight six six seven zero eight 
1273, voicemail, or 1-866-544-5309, TTY. Note that all claims must be received before January 29, 2012. If you have not experienced a denial of accommodation covered by this settlement yourself, you may know other people who have. So please feel free to share this information with other people in your community. We are helping to spread the word about this settlement, and we would appreciate it if our readers would join us in this effort. ACB's Golden Year by Carla Rushevel ACB's 50th birthday party was nothing short of spectacular. The 50th annual ACB conference and convention, held in Reno from July 8th to 16th, was busy and fun and fantastic. We rode a stagecoach in Virginia City, sailed on Lake Tahoe in a catamaran, and played blackjack and Texas Hold'em in tournaments with braille cards. We explored our golden past through special audio interviews with our living past presidents and a highly entertaining ACB trivia game at the convention banquet. ACB charter member M.J. Schmidt's candid remarks as part of a general session panel about our past were very moving and have prompted many positive comments. The exhibit hall was packed to overflowing with high and low tech goodies. The workshops, seminars, and programs were outstanding and very well attended. And the food was inexpensive, varied, and delicious. I want to take this opportunity to publicly thank John Esquaga and his entire staff at the Nugget Hotel for their outstanding work on this conference. Whether it was early morning or late at night, the staff was always there with a smile, working to make this a fabulous conference week. We knew it was going to be great when John Esquaga, his son and daughter, and 735 of his staff attended our pre convention training sessions. John Esquaga electrified the Monday morning general session when he stopped by to welcome ACB to Reno and to the hotel, and he made us feel right at home as he greeted attendees in Rosie's Cafe and in the corridors. Thanks also to the Nevada Host Committee for its hard work and for your special ACB spirit. Your welcome party with its blues band was great fun and set the tone for the entire week. As ACB looks toward its diamond future, We welcome Janet Dickelman as our new convention coordinator. Janet was a member of the 2007 local host committee in Minneapolis. She joined the information desk team in 2008 and she assumed responsibility for the desk in 2009. Janet has also handled, almost single handedly, the telephone pre registration for the past two years. I know she will do a fine job as chair of the convention committee. In closing, I thank my great convention committee that has made each ACB convention unique. Without you, it couldn't be done. You are each so very special. We were a team, but more than that, we were a family. I also thank ACB for giving me the opportunity to help build the national convention into the complex week that it is today. In 1980, my first year as a member of the local host committee in Louisville, there were 36 exhibit booths. This year there were 77. In 1980, there were five tour venues. This year there were 22. In 1986, at our silver anniversary in Knoxville, general sessions were held for the first time from Monday through Saturday morning, and special interest affiliates began meeting in the afternoons throughout the week. Yes, there have been many changes over the years, but perhaps the biggest change of all was the advent of the National Convention Committee. Following the 1987 convention in Los Angeles, 
that hard-working local host committee, along with a few other people, became the first ACB convention committee. As a result, planning from year to year has been much smoother and more consistent. A plan that has served and will continue to serve ACB well. The 51st ACB conference and convention will return to the Galt House in Louisville, and we here in the Bluegrass State are so looking forward to your return. Even though ACB has held four previous conventions here, 1965, 1980, 2000, and 2008, I can guarantee that you will experience an incredible week of new and exciting things to see and do. Convention dates are July 6th through 14th. Room rates are the same as 2008. $85 for a standard room in the review tower, and $105 for one-bedroom suites in the east tower. Watch the October-November forum for details as to how to make room reservations. For more information, call the ACB national office at 202-467-5081 or 1-800-424-8666. Or contact Janet Dickelman, Chair, ACB National Conference and Convention Committee, at six five one six nine eight five zero five nine, or by email at j a n e t dot d i c k e l m a n at gmail dot com. The ACB chat list is back. By Bob Hache. How many of you are looking for a friendly place to discuss the issues of the day with fellow ACB members and friends? If you answered yes, the recently created ACB chat list may be for you. This list, which is available on our website www.acb.org, welcomes a free-range discussion of blindness, politics, sports, or whatever is on your mind. The only requirement is that all posts be presented respectfully and civilly. The chat list was formed for two reasons: one, to create an accessible place for all of us to speak our minds, and two, to help sharpen the focus of ACBL such that only blindness issues are posted. As moderator of ACBL since September 2010, I found that some members of that list wanted to engage in very interesting discussions that were not necessarily blindness related. I often had mixed feelings about stifling what were very stimulating discussions simply because they were not blindness related. Now that the ACB chat list is in place, we can very easily migrate non-blindness related discussions that may begin on ACBL to ACB chat. There is one other major difference between the two lists. While there is a posting limit on ACBL, there is no such limit on the chat list. For the most part. The amount of email traffic has been reduced on ACBL, so that it will be easier for very busy people to join the list. The ACB chat allows for increased volumes of email traffic. It is my hope that most or all of ACB's officers and directors will decide to join ACBL and participate in blindness-related discussions. Anyone wishing to join either of the lists may do so at www.acb.org. Then click on the Join Our Email Discussion and Information Lists link. You may also email me directly at b h a c h e y at comcast dot net, and I will be happy to subscribe you to either or both lists. EB two thousand eleven auction a big success. Thanks to all contributors. The ACB 2011 auction raised twenty-seven thousand seven hundred fifteen dollars because of the generosity of so many of you.
Our business sponsors provided high-tech products, while ACB members spent hours of valuable time handcrafting their creations. Airtran donated free flights that made the Key West package a true bidder's war. There was lovely jewelry that stirred up the male bidders trying desperately to buy that sparkling delight that was their favorite lady's heart's desire. Now we extend our sincere gratitude to the many faithful volunteers who worked for hours before, during, and after the auction. The ACB leadership auctioneers and describers were wonderful and very entertaining, yet kept the focus on the importance of raising needed funds for ACB. Also, we give much appreciation to our Minnesota office staff, led by Lane Waters, who completed their numerous auction-related duties with the utmost in professionalism. The auction committee members worked long and hard hours for many months to make this auction one of the best ever. As chair of the auction committee, I had the privilege to work with some of ACB's finest, and for that I am grateful. Marcia Farrow. Record-breaking success. Thanks to all who supported both the ACB Walk Run and the Braille Forum raffle, we raised more money than ever before. We acknowledge and thank the Walk's generous sponsors. Regal Entertainment Group provided $2,500, and Vanda Pharmaceuticals donated $1,000. We are most grateful to these supporters. Sincere thanks to all the volunteers who assisted in this event, and to the vendors who supplied the bottled water and granola bars. Heartfelt appreciation to all the Walk Committee members who worked so tirelessly to make this effort a success. Most of all, we send out a huge thank you to all the participants and pledgers. Donna Brown of Mountain State Council of the Blind, West Virginia, with 62 pledges, brought in $1,935 and was our top fundraiser as an individual. Team Spoon, Dan and Leslie of Florida, with 52 pledges, brought in a total of $2,013 and was the top fundraising team. Mountain State Council of the Blind was the top fundraising affiliate with a grand total of $2,695. We had several individuals and teams who brought in over $1,000. They were Donna Seliger, Team Pomerantz, Basin Communications Team, Melvin Smith, and Team Dillon. End of Side 1 Side 2 The Braille Forum, Volume 50 September 2011, number 2. This side contains... And the winners are... By Kathy Brockman. 2011 ACB Membership Seminar. Exploring How Affiliates Can Reach New Members. By Artis Bazin. Issues and Education of Blind and Low Vision Students. By Bashir A. Masudi. In Memoriam. Hollis Samuel Liggett. Passings. Affiliate News. Continuing with Record-Breaking Success by Dan Dillon We had drawings for over 40 prizes for those bringing in $100 or more and a special drawing for those receiving 50 pledges or more. Best of all, together we made ACB the big winner, raising nearly $25,000. Thanks to all those on the Resource Development Committee who worked so determinedly to sell raffle tickets for the Braille Forum and to each person who purchased a ticket. We raised $16,700 to support this magazine. Records are made to be broken, and with your help, we can do it again next year in Louisville. Dan Dillon Winners are by Kathy Brockman 
By now, all who attended the 50th annual conference and convention in Reno are settled back into their daily routines. This was a historic convention as we celebrated our accomplishments. The theme was ACB in the Silver State, Golden Past, Diamond Future. What a golden past it has been! What a great diamond future lies ahead! A good solid future takes much work and effort from staff, leaders, committees, and you, our ACB members. Each of us brings unique talents and ideas to the table. But all organizations need something else to survive funding. There were a number of very successful fundraisers during the July conference and convention. You will probably read more about them in this and upcoming issues. One of these was the MMS, Monthly Monetary Support Program. Thanks to everyone who stepped up to the plate and contributed to ACB's continued success through MMS. There are 54 in total, and our deepest appreciation goes out to all of you. Michael Alvarez, Terry Arnold, Becky Barnes, Beth Berenson, Nathan Brannan, Anne Brash, Tom Bergender, Carolyn May Burley, Mark Burns, Marla Chorney, James and Carolyn Kobe, Burl and Denise Colley, Edward and Christy Crespin, Josephine Defini, Lynn Duarone, Lisa Javutsky, Harry Epstein, Carol Ewing, Darian Slayton Fleming, Al Gill, Connie Gill, Michael Golfo, Mary Haroyan, John Huffman, Richard and Darlene Johnson, Martin Kuhn, Bob Lichtenfels, Robert and Ottilie Lucas, Marilyn Lutter, Jean Marclay Hayes, Anne Mauro, Rose Mauro, Craig and Maria McCulley, Glenn McCulley, Deanna Noriega, Peter Pardini, Anne Pitzenbarger, Anna Porter, Teddy Joy Remhild, Carl Richardson, Cheryl Reese. Alice Richhart, Stuart Russell, Deanna Scoggins, Donna Seliger, Joseph Sibley, Naomi Sewell, Dan and Leslie Spoon, Dorothy Taylor, Leslie and Jeff Tom, Penny Verity, Sue Wesley, Suzanne Whalen. Thanks to all of you, we achieved our convention goals. We held daily drawings at convention. Members who signed up or increased their contribution by at least five dollars per month were eligible to participate. Gift certificates and cards worth up to ninety-five dollars were awarded each day. The winners of these daily drawings were Stuart Russell, Deanna Noriega, Denise Colley, and James and Carolyn Kobe. In addition. All of our new MMS program participants, or those members who increased their contributions by at least five dollars per month from the end of our conference in Phoenix through the conclusion of our conference in Reno, were placed into our grand prize drawing for the Touch Memo, and the winner of the big prize is Richard and Arlene Johnson from Wisconsin. Congratulations to all of our winners. We love winners, and when you think about it, 
everyone who participates in the ACB monthly monetary support program is a winner. If you are not currently a member of the MMS program, we encourage you to participate. You designate an amount to be withheld from a checking or charge account. Our average monthly contribution is approximately $22.50, with amounts ranging from $10 to as much as $125 per month. But every dollar counts. To get started, contact our financial office at 1-800-866-3242 or visit ACB's website, www.acb.org, for further details. Up to one half of the monthly contribution can be designated for your state or special interest affiliate. This helps out two organizations with a single monthly contribution, our two-for-one MMS program. Thanks again for your support. 2011 ACB Membership Seminar Exploring How Affiliates Can Reach New Members by Artis Bazin The ACB Membership Committee had two interesting panels at the 2011 Membership Seminar. The first, How Affiliates Use Social Networking, had the following speakers. Richard Retta, Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, Natalie Byers, ACB's Twitter Administrator, Kerry Regan, National Alliance of Blind Students, now American Council of the Blind Students, and Bob Lichtenfels, Pennsylvania Council of the Blind. Each spoke about how social networking has allowed their organization to network with members and others outside it. The second panel was called How Affiliates Can Support Students to Attend National Convention. Speakers were Sarah Conrad, ACB Students, and Brenda Dillon, Tennessee Council of the Blind. Sarah explained how the ACB students would like to work with affiliates in setting up funding for sending students to national convention. Either an affiliate could plan to do this on its own or work with other affiliates to send one. Brenda discussed how affiliates could plan special fundraisers for this purpose. Another option would be for affiliates to solicit sponsorships targeted for this project. The presidents of the affiliates winning the ACB Affiliate Growth Awards were then introduced. The affiliate with the largest percentage of membership increase this year was the Nevada Council of the Blind, increasing their membership by 78.9%, from 57 to 102 members. Rick Coolmey said their affiliate members spent extra time speaking to other groups in the community about their organization. The affiliate that recruited the largest number of new members was the Utah Council of the Blind, with 247 new members. Linda Collins explained the programs their affiliate offers, especially funds for readers and transportation, which make their affiliate appealing. The following handout was disseminated at the seminar. Reaching Blind and Visually Impaired Seniors Seniors often don't want to identify as blind people, so it's necessary to reach them where they are. Make friends with your state's Division of Blind Services Older Blind Coordinator and suggest they advertise your meetings, and add your information to their website. Leave brochures and business cards with ophthalmologists, audiologists, and sight hearing impairment centers offices and suggest distributing your meeting information as well as a resource list. Contact your local senior centers, assistive living facilities, state or county aging and blindness committees, support groups, and eye-related conferences to suggest speakers from your chapter to explain the purpose of your group and the resources you can provide. Find the Department on Aging and Deaf-Blind Agency in your community and offer to assist them with blindness or low-vision resources. 
including chapter contact information. Offer tip sheets with a list of resources that would interest those losing their sight. This information could be disseminated to social workers on staff at any agency. Contact Ears for Eyes, 1-800-843-6816, and order some of their audio cassettes to distribute to newly blinded older people. Ask some of your older members to choose one older newly blinded person to contact by phone and suggest helpful ideas for independent living learned from ACB. Ask your local Lions Club for help locating newly blind people and finding transportation to meetings. Check the ACB website for more helpful resources for this age group. We have a list of program ideas and blindness-related resources. Issues in Education of Blind and Low Vision Students by Bashir A. Masoudi Editor's Note Bashir A. Masoudi is a Special Education Coordinator for Blind and Low Vision Student Services with the Gary, Indiana Community School Corporation. He is a recipient of the American Council of the Blind's highly coveted Durward McDaniel Ambassador Award. End of note. The American education system has been under great scrutiny in recent years. It is generally agreed the university-level education system in our country is second to none. However, elementary and secondary systems have taken a precipitous downturn during the past decades. Student achievement has had a freefall. Numerous professional, parent, and other organizations of and for the blind and many blind and visually impaired individuals have identified several issues that adversely affect learning of school-age children. Some states have looked into the possibility of closing their schools for the blind due to budget shortfalls and or low academic achievement. According to some estimates, less than 10% of blind or visually impaired school-age children are enrolled in residential schools. This is true of the state-operated residential facilities, mainly supported by public funds. The charter school movement has become quite popular. Charter schools are public schools supported by tax funds. However, they do not have to meet numerous cumbersome requirements for traditional public schools, including the requirements of a highly qualified teacher to teach core subjects such as English, language arts, mathematics, science, social studies, etc. There are many outstanding charter schools throughout the country with top-notch academic and other achievements to their credit. They include Knowledge is Power program, KIPP, and several others. The KIPP method and philosophy will suit the change in many residential schools for the blind and visually impaired. When charter schools replace traditional public schools in some urban communities, the results have been mixed. According to some studies, 17% of the charter public schools have done better than the traditional public schools. However, 50% of the charter schools have done as well as traditional public schools. The rest of them have lagged behind the traditional neighborhood public schools. There have been suggestions to privatize the state-operated residential schools for the blind to operate just like Perkins School for the Blind and New York Institute for Special Education and other private or parochial institutions serving blind or visually impaired students, to be supported by philanthropists and other public-minded citizens and agencies or organizations of and for the blind. A stellar service delivery model for blind or low-vision pupils attending public day schools is very much needed to provide top-notch instruction in core academic, vocational, and blindness-related subjects, including Braille instruction, orientation and mobility, accessible technology, and independent living skills. 
The consultation or itinerant service delivery model is the one used by most public schools. This model is inadequate in fully meeting academic and other needs of blind and visually impaired school-aged children. It is just one size fits all and seems to be the only game in town. This model gives low priority to meeting the needs of students who must learn Braille, accessible technology, orientation and mobility, vocational and career training, plus take elective courses and core academic subjects. Under this model, an itinerant teacher circulates from school to school, covering vast distances in order to provide consultation to teachers and other staff members, and sometimes making equipment available, providing large print and/or braille materials. And at times, giving limited direct instruction to the student. Usually, the caseloads and the circuit are large, and one teacher may see a particular student once a week for less than an hour. Most special education districts have just one or two teachers. These teachers do not have to meet the requirements for a highly qualified teacher. They are often counted as support or auxiliary staff. The itinerant model of service delivery is discriminatory toward blind and visually impaired teachers. Who cannot obtain a driver's license to travel these long distances? Compared with other special education student populations, blind and low vision students form a small fraction of the student body and are a low priority for the school district. It is time that blind and visually impaired school-aged students, especially those in public, private, and parochial day school settings, are provided more than one service delivery model to meet their varied educational needs. We in the Gary Community School Corporation of Indiana consciously try to address the individual needs of each student. Our program has itinerant consultation, the resource service, part-time and full-time service delivery models. The program is well known for its outstanding service to blind and visually impaired pupils and their families. The federal special education law, as amended and adopted by the states and local special education entities, provides for placement of special education students in the least restrictive environment (LRE). The concept moves on a continuous spectrum from general education placement only, consultation, teacher to teacher or teacher to student instruction on itinerant basis, resource placement, up to 24 percent of the school day, part-time. 25 to 45 percent of the school day, full-time, public separate school placement, private separate school placement, public residential facility, private residential facility, to homebound hospital placement, plus early childhood CD only and early childhood special education. There are a dozen placement options, all falling under the rubric of least restrictive environment. Unfortunately, most public schools provide the itinerant consultation model, which does not address the unique needs of blind or low vision students, especially students who have both visual impairment and concomitant disabilities, newly blind or visually impaired, or younger blind children who are in early childhood or elementary schools. Besides providing services in accordance with the itinerant service model. We in the Gary Community School Corporation of Indiana also provide resource placement in part-time and full-time service delivery model to meet the unique needs of each and every blind and visually impaired child and youth and their families. Our ultimate goal is service delivery that will enable our students to receive a high-quality education in an inclusive setting. In memoriam, Hollis Samuel Liggett. Reprinted from the Memphis Commercial Appeal, June 10, 2011. 
Hollis Samuel Liggett, 87, died June 7th, 2011. He is survived by his wife of 61 years, Margaret Maris Liggett. Five children, Fania, Maris, Margine, Nora, and Zora Liggett. A daughter-in-law, Christy Estes, and four grandchildren, Samuel, Benjamin, Margaret, and Catherine Liggett. Born in Gibson County, Tennessee, on July 20, 1923, he was the seventh of eight children of Arthur and Zora Liggett. He was blinded at the age of five after lighting a match to what he thought was a firecracker, but instead was a dynamite cap. After graduating from the Tennessee School for the Blind in Nashville, he worked at a tent factory in Memphis during World War II sending money home to his mother each week and saving enough of his wages to enroll at Lambeth College in Jackson, where he met his wife. He graduated from Lambeth in 1949 with a bachelor's degree and went on to earn a master's of religious education from Duke University in 1950. After serving as pastor to five rural Methodist churches in Paris, Tennessee, from 1951 to 52, he moved his wife to Memphis, where, unable to find a post-war employer willing to hire a blind man, he worked for four years selling brooms and mops door-to-door to support his family. In 1956, he was selected to operate a concession stand at the Public Works Building in Memphis. He and his wife went on to own and operate a successful concession stand at John Gaston Hospital, followed by a vending machine business located at the Med. He was the founding editor of the Braille Free Press, a national publication for the blind, and in 2002, the American Council of the Blind presented him with an award for his work with that magazine. He was also one of the founding members and the first president of the Memphis Association of the Blind, where he worked tirelessly to promote and advocate employment and educational opportunities for his fellow blind and disabled citizens. The family will hold a private memorial service and requests that, in lieu of flowers, memorials be made in his memory to the First Unitarian Church of the River, the Memphis Humane Society, or the charity of the donor's choice. Passings We honor here members, friends, and supporters of the American Council of the Blind who have impacted our lives in many wonderful ways. If you would like to submit a notice for this column, please include as much of the following information as possible. Name. First, last, maiden if appropriate. City of residence, upon passing. State province of residence, upon passing. Other cities, states, countries of residence, places where other blind people may have known this person. Occupation. Date of death. Day if known. Month. Year. Age, ACB affiliation, local, state, special interest affiliates, or national committees. Deaths that occurred more than six months ago cannot be reported in this column. Distaphon, Rosemary. Reprinted from The Wichita Eagle on June 19, 2011. Rosemary Distaphon was born August 10, 1927, to Charles and Alice Waddell Middleton and died June 13, 2011, in Wichita, Kansas, at the age of 83. She and her sister Lucille were born with a genetic eye problem, which resulted in their placement in the Kansas School for the Blind in Kansas City for their elementary and secondary education. Both were good students. After completing that education, Rosemary returned to Wichita, where she graduated from Friends University. 
She was later employed as a medical transcriptionist for the state of Kansas in Topeka. She married Frank Distefan, who was also visually impaired. Using the attitudes and the skills taught by their parents and schooling, they lived quite independently. Frank managed coffee shops, and Rosemary became the social worker for the blind clients of Kansas Social and Rehabilitation Services, where she, knowing their needs and the resources available, was able to assist them to reach their potential. Frank died in 2001. Rosemary retired after about 50 years of state employment. When Rosemary's eyesight deteriorated, she obtained a guide dog from a business in Washington, Kansas. That dog became frail, and Rosemary traveled to New York to spend three weeks to acquaint herself with a second dog. The dogs were helpful in helping her remain ambulatory until Rosemary's own health deteriorated, and in November 2009, she entered the Kansas Masonic home. Her positive attitude and failure to complain made her many friends. She is survived by her sister Lucille Parley of McKinney, Texas, two nephews Steve and Frank Parley, longtime friend Betty Spriggs, Wichita, Kansas, and a host of other friends. Graveside services were held June 21st at Whitechapel Memorial Gardens. Memorials have been designated to the Humane Society, 3313 North Hillside, Wichita, Kansas, 67291. Condolences may be sent to the family at www.oldmissionmortuary.com. Oblinger, Marianne, Mueller. Reprinted from the Wichita Eagle on June 19, 2011. Marianne Mueller Oblinger, beloved mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother. Kicked the bucket on June 9, 2011. Born on the family farm in Valley Center, Kansas, on October 23, 1928, to Harry S. and Ina Bell Wilson Mueller, she was the youngest and arguably the most stubborn of four girls. She graduated from North High School in 1946 and went on to Stevens College in Columbia, Missouri, and finished college at Iowa State University with a degree in landscape architecture. After graduation, she married fellow landscape architecture student Warren J. Oblinger. After a short stint in Santa Fe, New Mexico, they eventually settled in Wichita, Kansas, where she raised six children who simultaneously irritated and amused her until the day she died. Some of her passions were reading, knitting, needlepoint, music, braille, nature, and supporting the arts. She volunteered many hours to her church, St. Paul's United Methodist. The Wichita Area Girl Scouts, PTA, Cub Scouts, and the Braille Association of Kansas, of which she later became the director. She was a member of the CI chapter of PEO, the DAR, and the Native Sons and Daughters of Kansas. She was a wacky gal, and will be sincerely missed by all whose lives she touched. She was predeceased by her parents and a brother, Clifford Max. Those she left behind are her children, Sarah Oblinger. Al Tyrell of Dixon, New Mexico; Patience John Centers of Aiken, South Carolina; Melinda Oblinger; Alan Lee of Croydon, Pennsylvania; Greg Karen Oblinger of Mulvane, Kansas; Tabitha Bean of Burns, Kansas; and Clifton Oblinger; Barbara Quance of Overland Park. Her sisters: Harriet Ed Cheney of Granville, Ohio. 
Jenny Byerly of Wichita, Kansas, and Donna Chuck Goodrum of Springfield, Virginia, her husband Warren J. Oblinger of Lee's Summit, Missouri, and nine grandchildren, 4.9 great-grandchildren, and many nieces and nephews. Memorials have been established with the American Foundation for the Blind, Attention Audrey Taylor, 2 Penn Plaza, Suite 1102, New York, New York, 10121, www.afb.org, and United Methodist Open Door Ministries, P.O. Box 2756, Wichita, Kansas, 67201, www.umopendoor.org. Affiliate News Affiliates, is your convention coming up? Has your state or local chapter done something new, interesting, or newsworthy, such as elected new officers, run a half-marathon or marathon, or created a new outreach program throughout your state? Send your information to Sharon Lovering, S-L-O-V-E-R-I-N-G at acb.org, and your news could appear here. End of Side 2 Side 3 The Braille Forum, Volume 50, September 2011, Number 2 This side contains MSU-RTC Seeks Professionals, Students for Two New Research Projects, Here and There, Edited by Sue Lichtenfels, High Tech Swap Shop, Continuing with Affiliate News, Illinois Dots for Tots. The Illinois Council of the Blind recently received a generous donation to get its Dots for Tots program up and running. There are several children in the program. We are reaching out to other children and families around the state. Program requirements are that the child live in the state of Illinois, be either blind or visually impaired, and be between the ages of 4 and 14. The children and their parents pick three books a year. We will choose a book for them, age-appropriate, of course, for their birthday each year. If you know of a child who qualifies, please let their parents know about the program. You or the child's parent or guardian can contact either Marla Chorney at 847-848-6562 or Maggie Ulrich, Illinois Council Office Manager, at 217-523-4967. We will answer any questions and send them information. We are very excited about getting books out to the children that are already signed up with the program. Reading will open worlds they would otherwise never have. They can travel to far-off places, learn about all the different kinds of animals, go back in time, and learn about people who have shaped the world as we know it. Reach for the Stars in Michigan The Michigan Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired, MCBVI, will hold its 38th annual convention October 6th to 9th at the Causeway Bay Hotel and Conference Center in Lansing. The convention theme will be Reach for the Stars. Features include a riverboat cruise, great programs, auction, banquet, and business meeting. Oh, and yes, we'll be welcoming ACB President Mitch Pomerantz. For information or registration, call Casey and Sharon Dutmer at one 877 254 6393. Missouri Convention. The Missouri Council of the Blind will hold its annual convention October 13th to 16th at the Holiday Inn in Joplin. To make your hotel reservation, phone 
417-782-1000. For more convention information, contact the Missouri office by email aa at mobilind.org or by phone at 314-832-7172 or 1-800-342-5632, in-state only. California Convention in Los Angeles The California Council of the Blind will hold its fall convention October 26th to 30th at the Crown Plaza Hotel, LAX, 5985 West Century Boulevard in Los Angeles. For reservations, call 1-800-227-6963. For registration details, contact the California office at 916-441-2100 or 1-800-221-6359, in-state only. MSURTC seeks professionals, students, for two new research projects. The Research and Training Center on Blindness and Low Vision at Mississippi State University has two new research projects and is seeking participants for each. Both involve employment. The first project is for professionals who are legally blind. To be eligible, you must be legally blind, currently employed or retired from a professional career, and have basic computer literacy and knowledge of accessibility software hardware needed to access online materials. You must be willing to participate from January 2012 through up to 12 months after your mentee graduates. Help your mentee develop career goals and offer opportunities for job shadowing. Have face-to-face contact with your mentee four hours a month. And complete online activities monthly. If you're interested in this project, complete the eligibility survey at http colon slash slash tiny dot cc slash M-E-N-T-O-R hyphen P-R-O-F-E-S-S-I-O-N-A-L-S. The second project seeks students who are looking for employment after graduation. To be eligible, you must be an undergraduate or graduate student, under age 35, legally blind, plan to graduate within two to three semesters after January 2012, expect to seek employment after graduation, and have basic computer literacy and knowledge of accessibility software hardware needed to access online materials. Your participation would begin in January 2012 and run through up to 12 months after graduation. You would need to have face-to-face contact with your mentor four hours a month and complete online activities monthly. Interested? Complete the eligibility survey online at http colon slash slash T-I-N-Y dot C-C slash M-E-N-T-O-R hyphen S-T-U-D-E-N-T-S. For more information on either project, contact Jamie O'Malley at Mississippi State University's Research and Training Center on Blindness and Low Vision at R-R-T-C-2 at C-O-L-L-E-D dot M-S-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U or call toll-free 1-800-675-7782. Here and There, edited by Sue Lichtenfels. 
The announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The Braille Forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to info at acb.org, or phone the national office at 1-800-424-8666, and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. ACB Ohio seeks executive director. The American Council of the Blind of Ohio seeks an executive director to oversee the organization's daily operations, work closely with its elected officials to craft and implement budgets, policies, and short- and long-term plans for the organization, and supervise a small staff. He/she disseminates information about the organization to the press and the general public, including current and prospective members. The salary ranges from twenty-five thousand dollars to forty thousand dollars. Benefits are negotiable. The closing date is September fifteenth, two thousand eleven. For more information, visit www.acbohio.org and select the link labeled "Executive Director Position Opening." Social Security offices closing earlier. Effective August fifteenth, Social Security field offices nationwide will close to the public thirty minutes early each day. For example, a field office that is usually open to the public Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. will close daily at 3:30 p.m. Anyone wishing to apply for benefits, sign up for direct deposit, replace a Medicare card, obtain a proof of income letter, or inform us of a change of address or telephone number, may do so at www.socialsecurity.gov. Or by calling toll-free 1-800-772-1213, TTY 1-800-325-0778. Non-24 website up. For most people, the clock changes just twice a year for daylight savings time, but for someone with non-24 hours sleep-wake disorder, N24HWD or non-24. Their internal body clock changes every day. In the U.S. alone, it is estimated that approximately 65,000 to 95,000 people suffer from non-24, a sleep disorder in which a person's sleep period can advance by about 15 minutes each night. Patients suffering from non-24 experience severe insomnia and excessive daytime sleepiness, which often interferes with social, family, and work obligations. Non-24 is most common in the totally blind who lack light perception, and affect more than 50 percent of this population. Sighted people can experience similar sleep or circadian rhythm disorders as well, in the form of jet lag or from night shift work. Vanda Pharmaceuticals Incorporated recently launched www.24sleepwake.com to promote awareness and support for those who may suffer from non-24. People can access helpful information and research articles, listen to interviews with medical experts, and learn about clinical trials on the site. If you or someone you know might be affected, please call one eight 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 three eight nine seven zero three three, or email info at non two four registry dot com 
to learn about an ongoing clinical research study that is evaluating a new investigational treatment for this type of sleep problem. Don't delay. The deadline is coming up soon. Service Club Store. The Service Club for the Blind of St. Louis, Missouri, has a store that sells products specifically for blind and visually impaired people, including folding canes, four-section and six-section, and adjustable, eight and a half by eleven braille paper, punched and non-punched, slates and styli, signature guides, notebooks, braille greeting cards, bold line paper, twenty-twenty pens, games, household cleaning items, and much more. If you're in the St. Louis area, visit the store at 3719 Watson Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63109. If not, you may reach them via phone at 314-647-3306 or via email sc4thblind at sbcglobal.net. College Football Schedule The 2011 NCAA college football schedule in Braille will be available again this year with 120 Division I-A and some requested Division I-AA teams, along with the results of the 2010-2011 bowls, the top 25 teams in the AP final polls, the 2011 preseason poll, 2011-2012 bowl schedule, and much more. For more information, contact Alan H. Gillis at two five six. Seven three four four zero four seven, or email him, g i l l four zero four seven at b e l l s o u t h dot net. Braille tutor and transcriber, Lori Kersop offers braille tutoring and braille transcription services. She will teach via phone or Skype, based on the student's preference. For her qualifications and rates, visit her website. At www.abcbrailleres.com, or call six two three two nine three zero four zero one. Tape converter. Need a cassette player, or want to convert your cassettes into MP3 files? The Vermont Country Store has cassette tape players, both personal size and desktop size, and machines that will convert cassettes into MP3. For more information, call the store at eight zero two seven seven six five seven three one, or visit http colon slash slash www dot v e r m o n t c o u n t r y s t o r e dot com slash shop question mark. Plex Talk upgrade available. Shinano Kenshi Corporation has released firmware version 5.0 for the PlexTalk Pocket Digital Player Recorder. The upgrade is available for free download from www.plextalk.com. The firmware gives improved support for books, podcasts, web radio streaming, Microsoft Word's .docx format, BrailleNet, and Internet Archive. For more information, visit www.plextalk.com. Clarity offers new magnifier. The iView is a compact, portable electronic magnifier available through Clarity. Printed text and photos can be enlarged five to twenty times their normal size on the two-foot A LCD screen. 
added features, including freeze frame and inverse mode, can enhance the view further. It runs on a rechargeable battery with a three-hour life. Additional information on this product is available at www.claritysa.com. Accessing Higher Ground. The 14th Accessing Higher Ground Accessible Media, Web, and Technology Conference for Education for Businesses for Web and Media Designers Conference will be held November 14th to 18th, 2011, at the Westin Hotel in Westminster, Colorado. Accessing Higher Ground focuses on the implementation and benefits of assistive technology in the university and college setting for people with sensory, physical, and learning disabilities. Other topics include legal and policy issues, including ADA and 508 compliance, and making campus media and information resources, including web pages and library resources, accessible. For registration info and conference details, visit www.coloradio.edu/atconference. If you have questions about the program or registration, contact Howard Kramer via email, h k r a m e r at c o l o r a d o dot e d u, or at three o three four nine two eight six seven two. Individualized technology instruction. Lisa Salinger is a rehabilitation teacher with twelve years of experience. She offers training in screen readers, braille note takers. Portable talking book players, PDAs, Apple iPod and iPhone, and computer concepts. Additionally, she can either guide you through maintaining your computer, or she can connect remotely and do this. Lisa's website www.lisasalinger.com includes several free podcasts covering various technology-related topics. She offers a money-back guarantee if she cannot help fix a problem. For additional information, email lisasali at ptd.net or call five seven zero nine five five three five four seven. Accessible employment training in sales. Access First offers a four-week training program for individuals interested in learning the necessary concepts and skills to qualify for jobs in sales. The Success and Professional Sales Series (SIPS) can be taken either in person or via accessible online podcasts. Core training is followed by a 120-hour paid internship and up to four months of assistance to find employment. For additional information regarding class schedules, registration, and potential careers in sales, visit www.access-first.com. Email info at access-first.com or call four one two four five two nine seven zero zero. Learning shapes by touch. Shapely Cal is a new book published by Creative Adaptations for Learning. Cal. It's a book of poetry in both large print and braille that uses textured illustrations to teach children about many of the shapes in their world. The book is for ages four through ten. To learn more, visit www.nbp.org/ic/nbp/shape.html or call one eight hundred 
548-7323. Reach Out and Teach AFB Press has recently released a revised edition of Reach Out and Teach, helping your child who is visually impaired learn and grow. This book focuses on the developmental needs of young children with visual impairments, from birth to school age. It has been updated and rewritten to reflect the concerns of today's families and professionals, and includes the latest research on learning during infancy and early childhood. New and expanded information sections include The Role of the Brain in Vision and the Role of Brain Plasticity in Learning, The Implications of Project PRISM, the only federally funded longitudinal study of young, blind, visually impaired children, Natural Environments in Early Intervention, The Interdependence of Different Developmental Domains, IDEA as it applies to early intervention, IEPs and the transition to elementary school, conditions that cause visual impairment, the vision exam and vision tests for infants, skills children with visual impairments need to succeed in preschool and in kindergarten, explanations of common terms and glossary, and considerations about assistive technology and other tools. For more information, call AFB Press at 304-710-3027. High-Tech Swap Shop For sale, Telesensory CCTV, 2002 model, in like-new condition. Asking $500 or best offer, plus $100 for shipping. Call Miss Jackson at 314-956-0366. For sale, Nokia N82 cell phone with KNFB reader mobile software, talk screen reader, travel charger, and leather phone case. Asking $1,225 plus $25 shipping and insurance. Contact Charmese Anderson via email. S-H-A-R-M-E-S-E-269 at yahoo.com. For sale, Heavy-duty Juliet Braille printer in great condition. Asking $3,085. Includes shipping. Contact Lucy Torres at 812-323-9230. For sale. Bookport. Includes manual, cable, and software. Asking $225 or best offer. Braille blazer with built-in speech synthesizer. Used minimally. Asking $500. Brailleino with Bluetooth. In good condition. Recently cleaned and updated. Includes manuals, software, charger, and cable. Asking $1,900. Send email to mybusinessmail16 at gmail.com if interested. For sale. Clearview 500 Color CCTV. No screen. Comes with all cables to hook to TV. Will connect to any size TV. In great condition. Asking $1,500. Contact Jimmy Giles at 678-333-5127. For sale. Complete set of all seven Harry Potter books and Braille in mint condition. Asking $40 for the whole set. Contact Marta Anderson at 512-837-3041. For sale. Trekker Maestro with GPS Maps 3.1. Four CDs. Maps of California are loaded, but are not current. 
GPS receiver software CD. Maestro 2.1 with GPS option 85001588 template. Maestro 2.1, Trekker 3.0.2, Getting Started Braille Manual, Braille Maps of Trekker, Print Manual, Carrying Case, and Original Box. Asking $1,550, includes shipping. La Ford Alto Flute with Carrying Case and Cleaning Cloth. Asking $850, includes shipping. PayPal only. Send email to p r e s h u s d e l i g h t at gmail.com. For sale. Aladdin Ultra Pro 75 CCTV desktop video magnifier with 15 inch monitor. Model NG7. Comes in two parts the monitor and the magnifier. The monitor slides onto the top of the machine. Also includes spare light bulb. Asking $300 plus shipping. Optelec Clearview CCTV model 417. In excellent condition. Asking $500 plus shipping. If interested in either machine, email Alan Dicey, A D I C E Y, at B E L L S O U T H dot net. For sale. Braille Manager, never used, asking $300. Telex Scholar, never used, asking $75. Please pay via U.S. Postal Money Order. For more information, contact Will via email at W. NAVARRETO at AOL.com or call 347 385 ACB Officers President Mitch Pomerantz, 1115 Cordova Street, number 402, Pasadena, California, 91106. First Vice President Kim Charlson. 57 Grandview Avenue, Watertown, Massachusetts, 02472. Second Vice President, Brenda Dillon, 313 Overridge Cove, Hermitage, Tennessee, 37076. Secretary, Marlena Lieberg, 632 South 189th Street, Burien, Washington, 98148. Treasurer, Carla Rushable, 148 Vernon Avenue, Louisville, Kentucky, 40206. Immediate Past President, Christopher Gray, 94 Ramona Avenue, San Francisco, California, 94103. ACB Board of Directors, Ray Campbell, Glen Ellen, Illinois. Burl Colley, Lacey, Washington. Janet Dickelman, St. Paul, Minnesota. Marsha Farrow, Somerville, Georgia. Michael Garrett, Missouri City, Texas. George Holliday, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Billy Jean Keith, Arlington, Virginia. Alan Peterson, Horace, North Dakota. Jeff Tom, Sacramento, California. David Trott, Talladega, Alabama. Ex officio, Judy Jackson, Austin, Texas. Board of Publications Paul Edwards, Chairman, Miami, Florida. Marsha Dresser, Reading, Massachusetts. Judy Jackson, Austin, Texas. 
Janine Stanley, Columbus, Ohio. Ken Stewart, Warwick, New York. Ex officios, Ron Milliman, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Bob Hache, Waltham, Massachusetts. End of side three.